This podcast is one of several short videos to acquaint federal judges with this term Supreme Court holdings. We'll discuss how these holdings might affect the cases that will be filed before the courts and the issues judges will be considering. For about the next 10 minutes, we'll discuss the decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. This case considered whether Title VII protections cover actions taken against employees because of their sexual orientation or sexual identity. With me are Dean Erwin Chimarinsky of the UC Berkeley School of Law and Professor Lori Levinson of the Loyola School of Law. Lori and Erwin, it's great to be with you today, even if only remotely. I wish we were in DC together. Um, let's just dig right in and get started. So Erwin, can you tell me specifically what the Bostock opinion held? The Supreme Court held that Title VII prohibits employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Title VII forbids discrimination, quote, because of sex. And the Supreme Court said this protects gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals from employment discrimination. So, Lori, who were the litigants? What happened? Well, Beth, this was a consolidation of three cases. You had three employees who were long-term employees, excellent employees, but nonetheless, they were fired because of their sexual identity, their sexual orientation. Gerald Bostock, who had been a child welfare advocate, was fired after he joined a gay softball league. Donald Zarda was a skydiving instructor who was fired when he came out as gay. And you had Amy Stevens, who was fired because she was transgender. It's that consolidation of cases that went to the Supreme Court to decide whether that violates Title VII. So Lori, how did the court reach its decision? As Irwin mentioned, the Supreme Court looked at the language of Title VII. And Title VII prohibits employers from making employment decisions like hiring and firing because of the individual's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Supreme Court looked at the language of Title VII and said, this is because of sex. And that cannot be allowed under Title VII. An easy example illustrates Justice Gorsuch's focus on plain language. Imagine an employee named Chris. Chris has never met the employer in person. They talk by text and email. Chris is often referred to a husband when speaking of weekend or vacation plans. The employer has always assumed that Chris is female. When the employer and Chris meet for the first time in person, the employer is surprised to see that Chris is a man. The employer says, I don't want to hire a gay person or a gay person working for me. You're fired. If Chris was a woman, Chris would still have that job. But because Chris is now, Chris has lost the job. Justice Gorsuch says that's employment discrimination because of sex. So, Lori, how did the dissenting opinions read that they're different conclusions? Well, as Erwin described, the majority said they were looking at the language of Title VII. It says because of sex, and these people, the employment decision was made because of sex. Interestingly enough, the dissent looks at the same language and says, we think because of sex only covers biological sex. It does not cover sexual orientation, does not cover gender identity. 
Uh, what they pointed out is that there are other statutes who use more precise words to cover that. They don't think that language as used in Title VII at the time would reasonably indicate that it was meant to cover homosexuality or gender identity or sexual orientation. And therefore, they said they too were reading the statute. They just read it differently. You know, I want to talk about that a little bit more later in the program, but let's talk about what this case means for the federal courts. Maybe, Erwin, start with the Title VII cases in particular. It means a lot of litigation is going to come to federal court. Only about half the states have laws that prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, everywhere in the country, employees are protected from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And so there's going to be a lot of Title VII suits brought everywhere in the United States. What are the key takeaways for the decision for judges to keep in mind when they're dealing with these cases? What's interesting about this case is that, frankly, it doesn't matter what the motivation of the employer was. You know, it doesn't have to be a malicious motivation. It doesn't matter whether this is the sole cause or the only cause for the employment action. It doesn't matter whether it's happening to a group of individuals. This opinion applies to the individual themselves. It doesn't matter how long that person has worked there. It doesn't matter you know, what else somebody might say and label that practice, because some employers will say, well, it's not a discriminatory practice. We're just taking into account people's work habits. All that matters is that you can show the cause that is because of sex. And so there's a takeaway here that I think it's a pretty broad restriction on what employers can do based on somebody's sexual orientation or identity. Or to put it another way, all of the traditional principles that apply to sex discrimination under Title VII now apply as well if discrimination is based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Well, that brings me into another point, Erwin. Justice Alito listed in the appendix to his opinion a multitude of other statutes of prohibiting sex discrimination. So how does this opinion affect that? There are about 100 federal statutes, and they are listed in Justice Alito's appendix to the dissent, that also prohibit discrimination because of sex. I would think now that all of these statutes apply as well to any discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And Beth, I think what that means is that the federal judges can expect to be really busy because we're going to see a filings of cases both under Title VII and under those statutes as well. And the courts are going to have to take a look at whether these were because of sex in any way whatsoever. Can you say something about Title IX cases in particular? Title IX of the Civil Rights Act says that educational institutions that receive federal funds cannot discriminate because of sex. This law has been crucial in terms of equalizing funding for girls and women's sports. It's been interpreted to prohibit sexual harassment. Now I think it has to be read also to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. There's already cases in federal court about whether or not schools can exclude transgender women from participating in women's sports. There's going to be a lot more litigation like this to come. Very hard issue. It's ultimately going to go to the Supreme Court. And Beth, the dissent raises some questions about issues that this case doesn't decide, but probably will have to be decided down the road. 
things like the bathrooms and the locker rooms, as Erwin was suggesting. But what about religious objections? What about employers who say that they have religious objections to these rules? How will that be treated? Uh, they're even talking about what about the use of pronouns? Lots of details that will have to be worked out. I want to focus on the religious discrimination because Justice Gorsuch in the majority opinion specifically says the court's not addressing it. Justice Alito speaks a lot in the dissent. What of the employer who says, I'm not going to have a gay, lesbian, or transgender individual working for me because of my religious beliefs? Title VII itself has a very narrow exception permitting discrimination based on religion. I think these are claims that are being brought under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act or under free exercise under the First Amendment. You know, Erwin, I think you're right, because the first question I got when this opinion came out was really about that intersection. So I think we'll see a lot there. Let me just take you sort of to the Constitution a little bit. Um, what do you think the how this case might affect the level of scrutiny under the Equal Protection Clause? Since 1976 in Craig versus Warren, the Supreme Court has said that sex discrimination receives intermediate scrutiny that is allowed if it's substantially related to an important government purpose. There's only one Supreme Court case that's ever discussed the level of scrutiny for sexual orientation discrimination. That was Romer v. Evans in 1996, and he used only rational basis review. If, though, sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination are sex discrimination, I would think then that intermediate scrutiny would be appropriate. Of course, it's possible the court would say that Bostock is just about Title VII, equal protection is different. But I do think once sexual orientation discrimination and gender identity discrimination did under sex discrimination, the same level of scrutiny should be used. Okay. Lori, can we return for a minute about something you raised early on? And that was sort of the differing views of textualism that appeared in this case. How do you think that's going to affect other statutes unrelated to sex discrimination? Well, I, I think we're likely to see this in future Supreme Court decisions because both of them claim to be textualists, both the majority and the dissents, but they have different ways of looking at the text and even looking at the same words. And the question will be whether you construct those words at the time that people use the words law was drafted or we have a new take on it. I don't think calling yourself a textualist actually answers the question of how the statute will be read. That's going to be really interesting. Well, we've talked about many issues here and we're about out of time, but starting with you, Lori, is there a final point you might want to make? Uh, my final point goes back to the point I made earlier, which I do expect that there will be lots of litigation in this area regarding Title VII and regarding other statutes as well. Uh, the courts are gonna have to take a look at issues of causation, although as Irwin pointed out, they have the prior law to use, but the caseload undoubtedly will go up now that these gates have opened. So how about you, Irwin? I agree with what Lori just said, but I'd also wanna put this in a larger context with regard to rights for gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals. It was just five years ago in 2015, in Oberfeld versus Hodges, that the Supreme Court held that state laws that prohibit same-sex marriage are unconstitutional. Now the Supreme Court has said that Title VII prohibits discrimination in employment against gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals. This huge progress in society with regard to protecting gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals in a very short period of time. This has been really interesting, and I think we have a lot to look forward to in terms of legal development. 
thank you both for being here. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you about some of the other cases that are coming down this term. Thank you, Beth. Thanks, Beth.